Our first case is Siafi v. Google, 18-1049. Mr. Counselor DeFrancis, you've reserved four minutes of time for rebuttal. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay, sir, you may begin. Good morning, Your Honors, and may it please the Court. The reissue claims that are asserted here fail the original patent requirement under Section 251. Each one requires using two web browser processes, but that was described nowhere in the original 247 patent. Now, this is not a Section 112 issue where courts can and do rely on expert testimony to determine whether a person of ordinary skill in the art reading a patent specification would infer or understand that the applicant possessed the later claimed subject matter at the time of filing. Here, Section 251 requires more than that. Doesn't the original patent disclose two logical processes? It does disclose two logical processes. And is it undisputed that a logical process encompasses the Internet browser? Yeah, the evidence was that a logical process can be just about anything that a computer does. It's literally any process. And in this case, disclosing two logical processes, which could be anything, is not enough to provide the clear and explicit and unequivocal disclosure of two web browser processes, which is required in this case when it's a reissue patent under Section 251. Does it have to be that clear in its face, or cannot a person of ordinary skill in the art use logic to deduce that both of the logical processes encompass a web browser? So I think under Section 251, under the original patent requirement, the Supreme Court has said that that's not enough. The Supreme Court said it is not enough that an invention might have been claimed in the original patent because it was suggested or indicated in the specification. And the court talked about how expert testimony cannot be used to inform what the document means. It may be used if there's something like a dispute over or a question about what a technical term actually means, what the document actually says. But as far as what is disclosed in the specification, this court in Antares said that it has to be clear and unequivocal and explicit as a separate invention. So I read that case as saying it actually has to be called out specifically in the specification to satisfy the original patent requirement. But not necessarily in particular words. That is, if it were clear and unequivocal from the spec as a whole that descriptions of first logical process having direct or through the second logical process indirect access to the web, that would be enough. Even though it didn't use the term web browser, although it uses the term browser and web and names a couple of web browsers repeatedly. I think if that specific configuration was clearly and unequivocally and explicitly called out, that would be enough. Here, what the district court did and what plaintiffs have relied on is a series of inferences saying that it says a logical process that could be a web browser process. So if you pull that in here and it also says a processor, well, that could be a process. If we pull all these things together, could be, might be, should be, a person of ordinary skill in the art might think that. That's not enough. I guess it seems to me that the pulling together notion we often see in the context of reading a piece of prior art that has 
different things in different places and some works needed to be done to, to, um, to put the things together. But I guess my reading of the 247 was that there's a pretty clear description of a logical process with indirect access to a network and repeated descriptions of the variety of networks that that can be, um, the gaming, the web, um, and that there's not really any work to be done to put those things together. Tell, tell me what's wrong with that view. Well, so if you look at the, the original patent specification, where, where it talks about, I, I think what you're referring to is in column six. Well, I, I'm actually referring to the entirety of the thing. Okay. Starting from the description of here's the general problem and millions of people are now getting, uh, going over networks. That's basically the web. That's where the millions of people are, not in, on, on other networks and downloading stuff. So that we're talking about the normal mass use of processors connected to, and processes running on processors, um, connected to, um, the web with all of its dangers. And and I think that's kind of set up at the beginning. And then there are a variety of specific embodiments, the number six, and then whatever the modification is in number nine uh, with different columns. That That's sort of the picture I come away with. So I think it's important to understand, first of all, that um, there is discussion of networks generally in the specification. That 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 is what is generally discussed when they're talking about this invention. It's networks, and at Appendix forty eight fifty eight, um, the, there was testimony. And I think this was undisputed that a, a network is not just the web. That's sure one type of network, but there are you know lots of other kinds of applications that might use a network. You know, file sharing, email, texting. Basically, any of the dozens and dozens of apps on my phone that are not a web browser are all using networks. So, uh, you know, web browsing with website information is a, you know, one slice of a network. So, to the extent that, you know, we're relying on generic discussions of networks. Is there any evidence in the case about um, apps and the timing of this? This dates to, what, 2004? 2004, I believe, yeah. Um, how common were apps at the time? I believe smartphones were around by then. Um, barely? Maybe barely. Yeah. But certainly email was around. Right. So in 2004, if I read something that says there are millions and millions of people out there on networks doing all kinds of things, how could that not be a reference to web browsers? But unlike maybe today where you know um, apps have for many, many uses substantially displaced. It, at least in numbers, in, in amounts of time, uh, web browsers. Well, again, I mean, it's still even then, a network was just a connection of two or more computers together. So file sharing was certainly around. Um, well, gaming would be. Gaming was around, of, absolutely. Of network interaction. Right? Yep. And in, in the specific part of the specification, column 14, um, which is what the plaintiffs rely on primarily to try and show uh, sufficient disclosure here, What's discussed there is interactive network processes. And gaming is the only example provided there. Everything is referred to in the lens of gaming. Um, and that is a context where, um, again, talking about interactive network process data, um, it's talking about a game where 
computers are either connected to other peers or to a host, and there is rapidly changing information that's going back and forth. Like, you know, where is Mario now in the game? And that um, makes sense that there would be this kind of constant sharing that's talked about in, in figure six and in column 14. Um, that doesn't make as much sense in the context of a web browser where the web page is basically static, especially in 2004. Um, so the fact that this particular embodiment that is actually explicitly and unequivocally described talking about gaming um, does not include web browsing uh, is, is important. And, and furthermore, this very thing came up during prosecution of the reissue patents. And the applicants specifically distinguished web browser processes. They amended to put in web browser processes to distinguish gaming, which was in the prior art that was at issue at that time. So again, here, relying on this particular specification, this the only thing that's clear and unequivocal and explicit here in column 14 is gaming. And that, that was called out as being very different during prosecution. Um, and it makes sense that it's a different thing in the context of what they're talking about here. Can I ask you a, um, a question? If um, the red brief says that its expert, I think at page 4425, its damages expert said same damages um, uh, regardless of how many of, I think he said three patents, but let's just translate that for a moment into each of the four claims. Um, do you dispute that? Is if if we if we were to find one patent survived um, your several arguments, would we have to reach or one claim did? Uh, would we have to reach the others? No, we we're not disputing that particular point at this point. So it, all of the all of the claims are taken as supporting the judgment. So claim five of the uh, five twenty eight, for example would be enough to support the judgment. If yes, that's not disputed anymore at this point for, for purposes of the damages judgment. That's right. Um, since you're on a brought up expert testimony, I wanted to touch on that briefly as well. Um, the, the plaintiff's case here and the district court's reasoning all depends very heavily on testimony from the plaintiff's expert. This is Dr. Dinsmore. Dr. Dinsmore, exactly. Yeah, right. um, about what a person of ordinary skill in the art would have understood or inferred from the specification, not about what is explicitly there. Um, and that's that's consistent throughout the red brief. It's consistent throughout the district court's opinion. Um, if you look at Appendix 51 to 54, that's the focus of all the conclusions that the district court makes. And I would submit to you that that's improper under the Supreme Court's decision in Industrial Chemicals and under this court's decision in Forum. Um, it's using that testimony in exactly the way the Supreme Court has said that courts are not supposed to, which is determining what was suggested or indicated, what the document means, rather just resolving a, you know, a question about a technical term. Well, um, let me ask you about Dr. Dinsmore's testimony. Because it, it, uh, Judge Bielstrap relies on Dr. Dinsmore's testimony in part. And um, uh, he says at 5044, the bottom of 54. 44, that do you agree with Dr. Kogan that the specification does not disclose the use of two web browser processes? He says no. Uh, and then he goes on to say that accessing website data, um, this is in response to a question. The question is, uh, it, does P2 and P, P1 accessing website data meet the definition, the court's definition of what a web uh, browser is? 
Uh, and he says, yes, it does. And then concludes that there's an adequate disclosure for purposes of the, um, re, uh, the original patent requirement. Is, is it your view that there's a, that he's simply a wrong or B that, um, this testimony does not go far enough to actually satisfy the clear and unequivocal requirement? So I, I would say both, Your Honor. So I, I would urge that this testimony is improper in the context of Section 251 to, um, you know, pull out what, again, what one of skill in the ordinary art, one of ordinary skill in the art like Dr. Dunsmore would infer mm-hmm. or understand from the, from the specification. Again, this is not a case where the analysis is taking an expert's eyes and squinting at the page to read between the lines. It should be looking at what is actually written on the lines on the page. Um, but even if you were to, you know, think this is a proper thing to consider. I don't think that this particular testimony, and this is something that's relied on heavily in the red brief. Right. I don't think this gets there because if you look at what he says, he says, I disagree because of the things that are highlighted here. He says, here we have two processes, P1 and P2, and both of them are retrieving data from the network. And as, as we discussed earlier, the network is not a website. Right. That is a generic term that could be any, you know, any number of things, in, including website data, but lots of other things too. And from that, he concludes, and that's exactly what needs to be done by the process of a web browser. And the, the next question, um, maybe this is a case of the lawyer jumping over that distinction, but the lawyer then moves to and does accessing website data meet the definition, the court's definition. And he says yes. And I take it your argument is that he hasn't, made the connection between network and website. The lawyer has in his question, but the expert has not. Is that? That's exactly right, yes. I mean, it is true that accessing website data meets the definition, Actually, but that does but not. He hasn't said that accessing website data is what's going on here. Exactly, yes. It doesn't follow, but that, you know, this conclusion in the prior sentence doesn't follow from what he said. Okay. Other questions? Counselor, you're into your rebuttal time, and we used up most of your time, but I'll restore um, you back to your original Thank you, Your Honor. Good morning, Your Honors. May it please the Court. My name is Christian Hurt, and with William Davis, Eric Venisek, and Rich Vasquez, I'm here today on behalf of Mr. Chaffee and the Rosman family. We also have one of our clients in the gallery today, Morgan Rosman. Uh, since the discussion was about the original patent issue, I'd like to, to focus on that, on that issue. And I think Your Honor's questions about logical process really gets to the heart of this issue and the disclosure in the patent. This, so the patent undisputably discloses two logical processes that can access a network, as Judge Toronto was mentioning. And a web browser process is not some undisclosed species of that or something that we're having to make up. It's actually expressly in the patent in a number of places as a web browser program and specifically as part of the second logical process, and that's in column 16 of the patent. And in, indeed, in the first appeal of this case on the claim construction issue, in describing figure one of the patent, the court called the logical processes their web browser processes. And the reason is, is in part for what Judge Toronto mentioned is in 2004, when you're interacting with a network, web browsing is the way that you do it. And in fact, in part of the patent in column six, it mentions three flavors of interactive applications. And one of them's browsing, the other one's gaming, and the other one's instant messaging. 
And so I understand Google's argument in part to be, well, when you get to column 14, we should have just copied that exact disclosure three times when we talk about interactive network processes because the one example in the lead-in is gaming. But no one would read the specification that way. There was the evidence the district court relied on is that particular embodiment covers those interactive network processes, and I believe it's undisputed that one of them is web browsing. I take it that if all, set aside the references to web browsers for a moment, and if all that was present in the 247 patent was a reference to logical processes, that that wouldn't be enough simply because web browsing is encompassed within the scope of logical processing. You would agree with that, I take it. Well, I think in a normal case, perhaps. It's not this case for two reasons. First is web browsing is expressly disclosed in the patent, but more importantly, even if that weren't true, Google below their invalidity expert equated a logical process to a web browsing process. And the district court made that finding in its order, and that I don't believe is challenged on appeal. So Your Honor's hypothetical. If I remember right, and correct me if I'm wrong, the gray brief, Google's brief said, I think in a footnote, equated is not what was in fact said. All he said is it's within it, and that is the species is within the class and the genus, and therefore that's all you need if you're doing prior art analysis. I didn't go back and look at the specifics. Sure, Your Honor. That is the argument in the gray brief. This is at appendix 4780 to 81 is that actual testimony. And Google is correct that it's in the context of prior art, and what their expert could have said is what Your Honor mentioned. Well, a web browser process is a species of a logical process, and for prior art I just have to find the species. But instead what I believe it was Dr. Kogan testified to was not that. It was he said it's the same. So the question was what about the first logical process that is required here in the claim? It's the same as the first web browser process. Now what Judge Gilstrap said, and this is I think at F53 in conclusion of Law 27, says if a person of ordinary skill would recognize that the 247 patent specifications disclosure of a first logical process encompasses a web browser process, then narrowing the disclosed logical process to directly claim a known subspecies is clearly and unequivocally within the scope of the original invention. Now it seems to me that that is on its face looks like an unduly broad characterization of what's required for the original patent requirement. It isn't enough to say that something that encompasses a subset, therefore clearly and unequivocally describes the subset. Would you agree with that as a general matter? I would think that would be right in the context of when all the other cases arise and when you're doing a broadening reissue, right? So in Taurus, the Supreme Court's case in U.S. Industrial and Forum, the aspect where the question was where is the clear and unequivocal disclosure was with something that had been broadened. And here we're talking about something that's been narrowed. Really there are no cases that go from genus to species and say as in prior art law is common, the fact that a genus was disclosed in the prior art 
doesn't you know, immediately teach um, all the species. I mean, the, the three cases, there's, there is not a Federal Circuit case on that point that I'm aware of. The, the two that are cited are in Taurus and, and Forum. But the, but yeah. the kind of obviousness law um, or even anticipation law that I was just referring to would suggest that, um, that uh, it's not always clear and unequivocal um, as to a species um, that is not otherwise called out that fits into a genus. That, that's right. And, and, and that's true in the written description context, right? So if there's a disclosure of a broad genus, there can be times in a 112 uh, area where trying to claim a species later on doesn't have a written description support. And I think that would equally apply in the original patent doctrine. Or even a fortiori, since presumably clear and unequivocal disclosure is narrower than the kind of disclosure required for written description. I believe that's right. But the, the difference <clears throat> the difference in in this case to, to Judge Rice, your question, your honor's question, is I mean we're not here uh, the, the, the term the court used in encompassing, I mean, we're not talking about a chemical case where there's a million potential species that fall with under a genus. The most Google can aren't point, you, yes, Your Honor. Aren't you ascribing to a POSA, um, certain, um, predictive talents that, that's not, you know, that, that's, not a, not generally available to a posita, especially in the in view of of, of our case law. Um, for example, it must appear from the face of the instrument that what is covered by the reissue was intended to have been covered. Here, it seems to me that perhaps you're saying that a posita, through logic, <clears throat> for the research, can can arrive at a determination. But I'm not too sure that that. That's the case with the original um, patent requirement. It seems to me when we say it's clear and unequivocal that you, you have to be able to see it on the face and not further divine the, 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 the claims. I agree with that, Your Honor. I think in here you do see it on the face in 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 three different ways. I mean, the, the most specific, which the district court relied on, was in column 14 in connection with figure 6. Even though um, web browsing isn't called out in column 14, um, it's also, I mean, nothing, no specific is called out in figure 6. Correct. Right? It's, it's perfectly general, and the one um, more or less concrete example discussed in column 14 is gaming, right? That's that's correct, and I have two, two responses to that. The first is... In column 14, the term is interactive network process. The patent tells you, and I don't think this is disputed, there's only three of those, instant messaging, gaming, and web browsing. And I believe uh, counsel conceded there's no word-for-word requirement. And it, a person of skill in there would read that section in column 14 and know that it's applying to those three very small species. And then the second point on gaming is they're... they're the, there's, there's no, um, the district court, and you can see it in the, in the, in the column, it's not limited to gaming, but even if it were, both Google's own documents and Mr. Chaffee's testimony say that there isn't this artificial distinction where web browsing and gaming can't be the same thing, 
And the distinction, because most games are, are and at that time especially, are played through web browsers, and the issue is the same issue. And the part of the prosecution history that that counsel relies on doesn't make the distinguishment on gaming. It's about access to the Internet. But ultimately what Google's position... I'm sorry, that, that's the prosecution history on one or more of the reissues. Correct, relating right. so to the... Maybe you can eliminate gaming without conceding that gaming and web browsing are... Um, non-overlapping categories. Right. So in the prosecution history, the distinction was that in Naren, the process couldn't access the network. And the patentees made that clear by putting in web browsing process. But the fundamental point of Google's argument is that the word web browser is not in column 14. The law doesn't require that. And what is there is interactive network process and the, the three flavors of that, I mean, we're not talking about a, a million compounds, the three flavors of that are messaging, gaming, and web browsing. Can I, can I say, yes, I, I, this discussion of the, the very small number of these things is putting into my mind um, the Kenametal case in anticipation law, where um, I think we have said, we said um, that sometimes you can have a category that is um, so small um, and clear that it actually does, um, for anticipation purposes, teach um, to any reader, the relevant reader, um, every one of the items that is uh, uh, under that small category. Is, is something like that um, a proper way to think of this? I, I, I do think that's certainly one way to think about it. I mean, the term web browser process was con- was construed as a process that can access data on websites. One way, the most narrow way to look at it is in column 14, where that's disclosed. The web as a network is disclosed in column 10. That's certainly one way to look at it, especially under the lens of uh, when we're looking for disclosure and we're going from a broader claim of logical process to a narrower claim of web browser process to see what is actually disclosed in the patent. And there's... There's only three members of that interactive network processing class. And from a practical... Yes, yes, Ron. I'm sorry. Go ahead and complete your thought. I I have a question. Sure. From a practical perspective, it really doesn't make any sense for why Mr. Chaffee would have to literally cut and paste that paragraph three times, once for gaming, once for web browsing, and once for instant messaging, because those of skill would, would, would read that and know the point of this patent is predominantly focused on browsing the web and that a web browser is one of a small set of species in column 14. Well, to the extent that what you're arguing is that at the time there were very few species of um, uh, logical processes of the sort that this patent is addressed to that didn't involve web browsing, is there any evidence to that effect? Uh, I, I mean, this is an argument, at least it's a, uh, a variant, I suppose, of an argument that is made in the briefs, but it's a new variant as far as I can tell. And I, I'm, I was not aware of anything either in the patent itself or elsewhere in the evidence that suggested that there's a very small set of species under the logical processes uh, category. Sure, Your Honor. I mean, uh, if I go back to first principles, it's this is an affirmative defense that Google's got to raise, so that it would be on them to show that. All that Google was able to point to was there's dependent claims in the original patent that I think limit a logical process to maybe six or seven things. 
like a word processor, Adobe Acrobat, gaming, messaging, browsing. There's a few like that. And that's for logical process. So that's the universe. And the most anyone's identified as those, those, I think it's seven or eight. It's, it's in one of the deep, dependent claims. But then when we get to column 14, we're going even narrower to interactive network process. And for those, I believe it's undisputed. There's only three. And it's messaging, gaming, and web browsing. And that column six tells you that in the patent. And so, um, and more specifically, the patent tells you in column 16, it specifically identifies a web browser as a logical process. So we're not, we're not in terms of, we're not relying on the fact that this is a small genus with a small, or a small number of species and the one we're trying that's being claimed in this narrower sense isn't disclosed. I mean, it's expressly disclosed multiple places in the patent. The issue that Google has with column 14 is the exact words web browser process are not part, are not listed as part of an interactive network process, but the patent already tells you in column six that that's, that's one of the three flavors. Can I switch topics? Uh, yes, I know, I know we have not talked about recapture. Can, can you, I, I found it a little hard to understand what your theory, um, why there's no recapture from, um, going from the, um, the original 609 application covering uh, one processor to the 247 claims covering two, and then back in what two of the in the two product claims that are at issue here, uh, going back to one. Yes, Your Honor, I can address that issue, and I, and I can see where the confusion may may arise, but it, it comes it comes down to. What I what the district court found was an uncontested fact that the original claims required isolation of the first processor. And when you say original claims, you mean the 609 applications claims? Correct. Both. That both. Correct. So the original application claims, as well as the actual claims that issued in the 247 patent, both uh, the the district court concluded, uh, and I believe Google's expert was. Part of it is based on Google's expert testimony and the court's look at review of the patent that those claims require that the first processor was isolated from the network. I don't believe Google challenges that uh, finding on appeal, but once you have that finding, it has two major consequences. The first is the overlooked aspects issue because the ultimate claims in the reissue are uh, – so – so once you realize that the claim is is was limited to isolation, all the narrowing that happened with regard to Corthell and going from one processor to two processors, it happens in that universe. But in the reissue claim, it's a it's over here in a different area where the first process has to be able to access the network. And so the consequence of that is uh for overlooked aspects, it's a separate embodiment. That's not initially covered by the patent. Google's argument is, well, you covered logical processes in the first claims, which is true, but the requirement of isolation means it couldn't, those logical processes couldn't, of the first processor, couldn't be a web browser process because the web browser has to be able to access the network directly or indirectly. And so we're in a different embodiment, and that, and that's part of the district court's overlooked aspects uh, argument or, or holding. And then that, this consequence of that same, 
finding on the scope of the claims in the original patent also applies to material narrowing. Because, and the judge did this, I think, sort of as belts and suspenders and said, well, let me take Google at their argument that the plaintiff went from one processor, which is broader, to two. And I'll take that as, you know, it was a narrowing amendment and that it surrendered that. Well, if you look in the context of the, the arguments that were made as part of the amendment, the reason from going from one processor to two to get around Corthell was to add that additional physical isolation. So it's tied to the first processor is isolated. And that the amendments in the reissue, I'm sorry, the reissue claims are a material narrowing related to that because now instead of having a processor that is isolated or a process that is isolated, both processes have to be able to access the internet. And, and that's the tie-in. It's, it's, a, it's a different, it's a, 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 an unusual situation and that, 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 but it, it all goes back to what does the, what the district court held was the scope of the original claims. Thank you. Thank you, Your Honor. Counselor, we're going to restore you back to your four minutes of rebuttal time. Thank you. So I, I had a few things I wanted to touch on, but I'm, of course, happy to answer any questions too. Um, first of all, uh, counsel talked a lot about logical processes and pointed to column 16 where the, the patent specification discusses logical processes. Um, it's important to remember that these claims we're talking about require two web browser processes. Where web browser processes described or talked about in the specification, every single time it's just one. Column 16, that's the case. And I believe in column 10, that's the case as well. It's just one web browser process. There's never any discussion or description of two web browser processes, which is what is recited in these claims. Um, Council also talked about there only being three flavors of interactive network processes. Um, I believe Council referred to column six uh, when discussing that particular point. And if your honors look there, um, this is at like lines 15 to 20. Um, what it says is the interactive nature of many applications, such as gaming, messaging, and browsing. So it, it's not like this is just a limited, just these three kind of a disclosure. It talks about many, many different things. Here are three examples. And the browsing example is not discussed later on in column 14 where uh, the plaintiffs are really trying to find disclosure for, this, for these claims. So I, I, I take it your position is that the um, clear and unequivocal standard, which is a gloss on the Supreme Court's language, actually um, heightens it, but I don't take it that that standard is in dispute. We've relied on it a couple of times now. That that is not met, even in a situation where some genus-type language would be recognized immediately as occupied, I don't know, 97% of its territory by three things, and some of which are referenced throughout as kind of indistinguishable one from the other, um, even if that genus is not limited strictly to, to three. That's just not enough that, you know, the the big and obvious, or one of two big and obvious is one of three two big and obvious examples is just not enough for each of those examples to be clear and unequivocal. It, I, I think that's right. I, it, it's not enough for it to be obvious. Um, this is not written description under 112. Under Section 251, this is a different standard and a much higher bar. 
And I would direct the court to Antares at the end of that opinion. I believe on page 1363, there's some discussion in that case about the safety features that were, that the patentee was attempting to claim on reissue. And the court says, you know, there is some reference to these in the specification, but that was not enough because nowhere in an explicit and unequivocal manner were the particular combinations of safety features claimed on reissue described separate from the invention that was in the original patent. I think that decides this case. It's the same thing here. There's no separate, explicit, clear, unequivocal description. Everything that the district court relied on and that plaintiffs point to is, if this, then it could be that. And stacking those kind of inferences together, that is by definition equivocal. It could be this, it could be that. That's not good enough under Section 251. For purposes of 251, can we assume that a procedure understands all of the subspecies that would fit under a particular genus? Again, I'm not sure that the PACITA's view is the correct viewpoint here. This is supposed to be for the court reading what's actually clearly and unequivocally described on the page. So I think it's, this is not the situation where the proper analysis is to go in and think about what a PACITA would, you know, glean from what is there on the page. I think it has to be there directly on the page. What about just pure logic? Can a PACITA say, we have this here and this equals this, and therefore I have that, not the same thing? Can, if a PACITA engages in logic similar to what we've heard some of these arguments, is that clear and unequivocal? Well, again, the Supreme Court in Industrial Chemicals said it's for the court to do that itself, for the court to decide for itself whether it's there under Section 251 to satisfy the original patent requirements. So I think it's sort of beside the point what a PACITA would see or think. Could I ask just one further question? Could you comment on Mr. Hurt's discussion of the second issue, the surrender, the... Oh, the recapture, Your Honor? Recapture, right. Yes. So counsel talked about how there was a link, and I think this is what the district court thought too, in the district court's opinion as I read it, that there was a relationship or a link between the narrowing to two processors or more during prosecution and then the requirement for web browser processes during reissue. And I think if you look at the claims in the original application and in the 247 patent and even in the reissue patents, the kind of isolation that counsel's talking about is not really what's claimed. It's not about isolating a processor at any stage along the way. It was about isolating a memory, you know, protecting this first memory that has the system files. That's the gist of the invention is having this protected memory that's isolated. It's not about the processors being isolated. The original application claims achieved that memory isolation with one or two processors. The applicants went to two processors during the original prosecution to get around prior art that had one. And then on reissue, the claims now again cover one or two while still achieving this isolation that is the gist of the invention. That was just physical separation. Right. Okay. Any other questions? No, thank you. Thank you, counsel. Thank you, Your Honor.